We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, yesterday I was working on a video about the 1987 Lakers. Today is the 35th anniversary of that team, which is generally regarded as the best team of the Showtime era. And it was the fourth of the five Lakers titles between 1980 and 1988. One thing that stood out to me from working on that was how much things had changed but hadn't over the course of that time. Uh, During the 1980 season, Kareem was the MVP of the league. But by 87, he was 40 years old and still very good. But James Worthy, who was a rookie coming off of the bench in 1982 for the 82 squad, was clearly the second best player. Kurt Rambis was still around. Kurt Rambis is eternal around here. I'm sure if you look at old Minneapolis Lakers photos, he's like the continental breakfast guy from Key and Peel, right? Like he's somewhere in the background. Uh He was coming off the bench for that 87 team, and A.C. Green had taken that spot as kind of the rugged, tough guy that was going to get you boards and provided motor and athleticism next to Kareem. And you still had, though, Magic and Kareem as the the central pieces of it, but it looked different. And that brings me to Game 5 of the NBA Finals this year. The Warriors ended up winning that pivotal game, but not in the way that we've come to expect over the years. They shot 22% from three. Steph Curry goes 0 for 9. Clay is the only starter that even that even hits a three. But they end up getting a, a pretty well-rounded team effort on both ends of the floor, probably led by Andrew Wiggins and his 26 points and, and 13 boards. And so from working on that video, D, to watching game five last night and a Warriors dynasty that is a different version of themselves than they used to be, but they're damn good. And they're one win away from a title. Tell me what you saw in game five. I saw muscle memory from two of the guys that had been kind of, I don't want to say buried, but were questioned by a lot of people about how good they still are. And in, in terms of clay and especially Draymond, in terms of the questioning, not in terms of especially in terms of how well they played last night, although Draymond was a lot better. And I thought Clay was super important. So I saw muscle memory from those two, first of all. They had a 
steadiness and a confidence and, and like a self-assuredness of what they could and could not do and how to do things that I thought mattered. And then, I'm, I mean, we really can't underplay Wiggins here. And Mike, as a Minnesota boy, you're very familiar with Andrew Wiggins. And I would imagine that after LeBron there, and this happened with like Michael Jordan too, right? Like after Jordan, there were a bunch of players who came into the league that carried the moniker of this dude influenced me. And so I am in that mold, right? And so it's just like, at first it was like the baby Jordan types, right? Like Harold Miner and, and guys like that. But I always say that there is no Kobe or Tracy McGrady or Vince Carter or any of those sort of like high-flying athletic like wing dudes unless there's a Michael like unless there's a Michael Jordan. And I look at a player like Andrew Wiggins and after LeBron everyone was sort of like, "Oh, get me the next 6869 like big wing athletic versatile can can do it all." And Wiggins was one of those super hyped prospects mike he was one of those guys that's just like years in advance of him getting to the league it was like there's this kid named andrew wiggins and he's going to be one of the dudes who's next and in minnesota it wasn't really that people sort of speak of him as like a disappointment he was a numbers getter but he wasn't a winner and Last night in game five and even in game four, and I think all throughout these playoffs, he has shown a penchant for doing winning things. And I thought his performance was the one in game five that was like, oh, my Andrew Wiggins wants it. And that's like a cliche sort of thing. But he was doing everything. Mike playing above the rim defensively, getting rebounds, just ball pressure attacking the basket, not settling for the Andrew Wiggins special, like 18 foot step back jumper, right? That's contested. All of that stuff has been morphed into like, oh, look at you. You are, you are like souped up Harrison Barnes right now, who was a super effective and important player for the 2015 championship warriors. And, and so I'd like to start on Wiggins because I, I, I think this was the Andrew Wiggins game. <laughs> the funny thing is you were talking, you just were talking about Wiggins and giving him his credit. And I just couldn't resist myself tweeting after the game, uh, almost in protection of Steph. Like, yeah, w Wiggins was great. Right. But almost wanted to preempt the, oh, Steph sucked yeah, tonight. Uh, Things like, all right, but we know because the Iguodala finals MVP has yeah. scarred me so badly. Yeah. Um, that I, I'm still so pissed off about that, that it's yeah, like, it's, Oh wait, well yeah. was, hold on. Is, is Wiggins gaining ground to be finals MVP? You know, all, so I'm just I like, no, that. ah, yes. Yeah. Like it's Steph. He's everybody on the team is open because of Steph. Like they're all Steph had eight assists and one turnover. So that, so that was my, that was one thing, uh, to the Wiggins point though, that I want to make is somebody who watched him for many years in Minnesota. So this is his Second postseason, the first one was the one time with Jimmy Butler, right? When they, the five game series that they end up losing. And the difference between this player and that player is actually not really offensive. Uh, like he averaged the same amount of points on similar shooting in that postseason and even extended regular season. Darius mentioned the rebounding. I mean, that is the major difference, right? 7.6. And he's actually picked that up 
as the playoffs have gone on and that desire and that want and that motor, that's what was gone. Like that, that's, that just wasn't there. And that's why the wolves couldn't wait to get rid of him to the point where now the fans, I think were at least upset about the trade because they ridiculously included a, a very low protection on a lottery pick, which turns into Jonathan Kaminga. So awful trade by Gerson Rosas, but in terms of D'Lo for Wiggins at the time, Wolves fans were like, great, sign me up. You know, in uh, in that now, I think that continues to look worse based on how this season went and certainly how the postseason went when Russell couldn't stay on the floor uh, to close the game that they ultimately lost to Memphis. So, but that, I'll I'll let you get in on that too, Pete. The, the one point I wanted to make about the larger series and the larger game, and I take all the X's and O's out of it, I thought that Golden State knew what a home game five meant from an energy standpoint, they forgot about the fact that like this, it had been a seesaw series, right? Boston comes out more aggressive game one response from golden state game two, Boston comes out desperate in game three response in game four from golden state. And I think Boston thought that it was the seesaw was going to teeter back the other way. And golden state was like, hold on now, this is a home game five fans are including Darius white, by the way, are lit in the arena. Yes. And it's going to be wild. And they jumped on Boston and Boston was like, whoa, Wait, what happened? And that's just that's the experience level, I think, that that they weren't quite ready for. They did have an answer in the third quarter, but then Golden State closed it out. So I, I just I thought to me that was the biggest thing, big picture wise, that happened in the game. So I think that describes more of the series when you look at it closely than a, than a seesaw. Like game one, Golden State controlled most of game one. And then Boston hit them with an avalanche in the fourth quarter. It was a 12-point game going into the, the fourth quarter. Now, they extended that into the uh, uh, in the third quarter, right? It was a close first half. But that's generally how Golden State does it, right? Kind of a close first half, blow things open in the third. And they have the arrogance of a champion. I recognize that as a Laker fan, where in that game one, especially, I felt like in the fourth quarter, they were like, yeah, we, we got this under control. There's not that kind of sense of urgency. And then we saw this even last night in that third quarter. Boston can go on some runs, man. They started out, what, 0 for 12 from three. And finally, as someone who's been rooting against them the entire playoffs, like I've been lamenting, like they hit every freaking open shot, right? Like every shot where it's like, oh, yeah, that guy's got a little bit of space, you know. Most of the time, you're going to still miss some of those. And just they've, they've been so good on those. They start out cold, 0 for 12. Then they hit their next eight threes. And that's kind of what happened in game one as well, is when they've really leveraged their advantages over Golden State, or when they've been able to to best Golden State, it's been on the backs of really good shooting for the most part. Yeah. Or even in the first half of game three, like Golden State came out with a very like, lackadaisical type of attitude that I'm worried about with game six as well. Right. But when Golden State's been locked in, they've been better than than Boston. And Wiggins has been a big part of that in part because I think he helps them not dip below a certain level of athleticism necessary. Yeah, he matches up with their wings. He yeah. is the guy. He is the equalizer. And even though there's yeah. only one of him. The fact that you then have the other dudes around the Warriors who are like, well, we're going to at least compete and that's the thing is like Steph and Clay and Draymond, they may not be at their physical peaks the way that they were five years ago, but mentally and their desire and their understanding of how to compete and understanding what it takes to be out there and play with a certain amount of physicality, they bring that to the table at least that gives them a floor 
on that end that you can see them sort of giving like Jordan Poole side eye sometimes like like, hey, man, like, don't you see like we're we're showing you by example of what sort of it takes with that. Let's take a break when we come back. I'd love to talk more about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, so much of these playoffs and our discussions about it have been through that that lens of, okay, what's our roster going to look like this summer? What are kind of the guys that we need? What is working in the playoffs? And these ex- explorations of different player archetypes. And earlier in the series, we were like, man, Poole, Poole's killing him. And I think that he was. And they've adjusted accordingly. I've loved Kerr's adjustments in this series. And part of that, he's not closing. And, but he's also someone that... On a night where Steph Curry goes 0 for 9 from 3 and just doesn't have his jumper in general. He missed several, you know, elbow pull-ups or, or just beyond there that are Steph Curry shots. And he was missing them short, which was a theme throughout a lot of the game. I want to talk about, like, the, the idea of fatigue for both teams. But Jordan Poole, for example, that banked in 3 to end the third quarter. Sometimes you need a guy that just going to hit a freaking shot and that in hard fought playoff games, guys that can get you that bucket. I I focus so much on the, Oh, they're going to get physically overpowered. Mike, they're not going to be able to that small guard that we always kind of rail against. Well, depending on your team, and this is something on a Lakers team where we don't have a ton of shooting amongst our stars, although I think LeBron's going to have a bigger role in that respect going forward. But jump shooting is not not their specialty. A guy who does do that, a guy who will get you buckets in that respect in these hard-fought defensive battles against the two best defenses in the NBA, a guy that can just get you a bucket does have some value. So it, how do you weigh that, Mike? It, in, in, I know your, your heart goes very much away from those smaller guard type of players, but a guy like Poole and, uh, and I would say on the other end, a guy like Derek White not being able to step up offensively, it's important, right? And so I just I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, it, it can definitely make either argument. I've just if I have to pick, right? We've as I've gone over in the past, I, I know where I'll go. Where I think you're probably still more often than not going to want Derek White like on your team, uh, or at least I guess for me, a lot of people would take Pool um, in a series, and, and it's because that the shot making. It's I like I thought that's the part that so Boston hits the eight straight threes, but as Darius pointed to Golden State and part of this with. With Steph and Clay and Draymond, they just have this belief in each other and this this kind of chemistry where they're going to keep competing and they're going to keep competing on the defensive end. And eventually those made shots are going to go away and it's going to come down to more of like this defense plus team execution. Um, so that's not to dismiss that you need a guy that can come in and get a bucket sometimes. And Poole, I thought, has made some some crucial ones just to give them the shot in the arm because we know where Draymond's at right now with his offense. Clay hasn't been in this peak rhythm. So like those guys, when your stars are not are not all three or at least two of the three able to just go get you a bucket, then that extra guy becomes increasingly important. And I think I think you pointed that out. Um, but I also think that he hasn't you know, he hasn't been on the floor in some of the, the most key moments. Right. Right. For this team. So he's he's been a, he's been an important add on for sure. Uh, but, you know, you saw Gary Payton the second was the one that was actually closing the game. Absolutely. And that's why they found a more appropriate role, I think, for Poole. But Golden State also plays more guys that would rather not take a sort of open three, right? Between uh, Draymond, uh, Gary Payton, Andre Iguodala got a couple of minutes last night. Um, I think he'll probably replace Bielitsa in the rotation in game six. six we'll oh, see. And Pete, for as good as Wiggins was, he he was not close to making a three. No, right. right. Those were yeah. bricks, man, hitting yeah. the side of the board. That was the thing. Clay went like five for 11. The other four dudes in the starting lineup were like 0 for 16, 0 for 19, something like that from three. And so that that's a thing with Golden State. But it's also, I think, portends well for them going forward in the series is they won that game without shooting well at all. And Boston had a they, they were very streaky, but it they they ended up making a, a reasonable amount. They shot like 34 percent from from three. And so that D, though, that is that more important on a team where you've got so many guys like that are not really shooters or, or scorers between Draymond and, and Gary Payton and Iguodala, right? Looney's not a shooter, of course, right? They've got so many guys that don't shoot from three that d- maybe Golden State has a greater need to make up for that with your Stephs and your Clays, but also your Jordan Pools. Well, I think it works both ways. Um you can build out your team with guys who are not as aggressive offensively because you do have these other dudes who are. And the type of aggressiveness that they are offensively and their shooting ability is what allows these other guys to play in spots of the floor that are normally more crowded based off the fact that not everyone shoots at the level that Steph and Clay do, especially and now pull too, right? And, and, and so I think every team wants – a dude i think every team wants a dude who it's like super mario brothers right like when you you jump up and you hit the question mark and the star pops out and then you get the star and you're just like Uh, oh shit i'm on fire right now like nothing can stop me i like i'm just running through these dudes and that's what boston has done that as a team they did that in the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter right and when you get pushed back like that like that's the sort of thing that turns the momentum of of a game like like Mike alluded to earlier. My my, my wife was at the game last night. She got a late call like, hey, you want to go? And she, do I want to go? 
<laughs> yeah, like I'm there. And, and so she was just texting me like arena's going bonkers right now. And it was like right after the pool three. And I was just like, I bet because that's the sort of thing where the other, t- everyone feels that and that energizes you in yeah. a way, especially because that is a part of their identity. It's part like it's, I think back to the Lakers championship team. You were talking about the 87 team, Pete, but it could easily be the 2020 team, just like it could easily be like the 2001 team, right? All of those teams had very distinct identities. Yes. And the 2020 team, the most recent championship team, there would be times where it's like, oh my God, defensive rotation, defensive rotation, defensive rotation, like close out, close out, close out. A guy drives. AD comes out of nowhere, blocks a shot, like scramble for a ball. Caruso comes up with it. Diagonal hit ahead to to LeBron or Danny Green. Danny Green throws this lob that's like 18 feet off target, but LeBron jumps out the damn gym and grabs it anyway and, and dunks it. And it's like after the game, you'd hear Frank Vogel describe that sequence and he'd be like, that's Lakers basketball. Yeah. Right. Because it was identity because it was the defense that then turned into transition offense and it's a massive play. And Jordan Poole, like the Warriors getting this defensive stop, mad scramble, Poole starts to leak out and he's calling for it. He's like he looks at the clock and he's calling for it. Like, give it to me. Give give it to me. And he he gets the ball and within an instant just flicks it. Got it off by that much and banks it in. That he's just walking into the damn crowd and it's getting engulfed by fans. It's like that at home, that's that's an identity play. That's exactly who the Warriors are. And that can springboard you. And I thought that changed the tenor of the game. The, The Warriors were already starting their claw back after Boston had hit them with a couple of like liver shots, man. Like they were down on on one knee there and you're wondering if they're going to get it back. And Pete, you had messaged like, what do you think happens in this yeah. fourth quarter? And I was just like, if the, if the Warriors can get a couple of stops and maintain the, this momentum, I think that they can do it. And Poole, I thought he was symbolic for them of what that little bit of like, okay, we've got at least this other weapon that can just give us something and spark them to go forward. And with all that said, Boston scored 94 points. Yep. Golden State's defense from the jump was intense. Everybody's helping at the rim. Tatum seeing two bodies uh, at the rim. Brown's seeing two bodies everywhere, uh, including pressuring him on the basketball. So the turnovers were what, 18 to 7? So there's the side of the game. Huge right there, difference. Right? Yeah. That's the side of the game because we, and that's been, that's been Boston's Achilles heel in some parts. And, and you guys, I, I think Pete, you've pointed that out very early, like when they're playing against Brooklyn. So, this is all kind of – I need you to guys to correct me a little bit because it all plays into my shooting is overrated a little bit theory. And like this win for Golden State reminded me of the 2020 Lakers a lot in the way that they did it. And where – like sure, they made a couple of threes at key times, but ultimately they, they were nine for 40. Like they got to the paint, man, 50 paint points to 36. And they played defense. And they just willed it. They wanted it a little more. Their crowd lifted them a little more. Like they got dirty. And Boston, Boston eventually just wore down, even though they had that push boosted by the eighth straight threes and that that where they can get run uh, where they get hot. And I'm very curious now uh, to see what you guys think about the series moving forward, 
And if Boston can find that kind of end, but I, I don't want to skip ahead because Pete, I no, think that's you have exactly, one more point. Yeah, go ahead. No, that's exactly where, where I wanted to go with this. Let's take a break. Come back. Let's talk about what we see going forward. So Boston is a team that I've thought plays harder for longer than any other team in the NBA. And as a result of that, and we've seen that a couple of times during this series, where if you let your guard down, if you let your intensity down, they are going to absolutely kick your ass. But this last game, and parts of game four as well, was the first time I watched them and was like, these guys look a little bit tired. Uh, we saw in that fourth quarter, Jason Tatum airballed a couple of jumpers that looked like legs shots like that. He was just his legs were gone. And you could just see in in their body language and their jump shooting and just uh, some of their rotations. Mike, I have always like 85 percent agreed with your shooting is mostly overrated point, though. Area of that fifteen percent, though, are guys like Stephen Clay. Oh, where Warriors are definitely an exception. Yeah, right, that exactly. game last night played into my third, but they, as a team, are obviously uh, obviously not included. Right, and and I would say even in a game like last night where they don't actually shoot well, it's the threat of shooting that. Fair. So yeah. Andrew That's Wiggins Steph, yeah. is. Right, exactly. Andrew Wiggins is open on rolls because you're trapping Steph Curry beyond the three-point line. You're showing high on Clay Thompson, and you've got these downhill roll lanes where all of a sudden your defense is more spread out than you're used to it being. And so even though they're not shooting well, there's no world where you're like, oh, that's fine, Steph, you know, go, go ahead, take that, you know? And especially that's that was more of their game plan throughout the series, uh, It and it burned them. And so they've, but that creates opportunities and an advantage. And so Golden State is a team, I think, that would be really difficult to play when you're tired. Boston has gone, went to a seven, eight man rotation several months ago when they really clicked into place and, and have gone on this run. And they've played a seven game series against Milwaukee, which was a rock fight, a seven game series against Miami, which was a not the same level of physicality, but had a, you know, physical challenges all of its own. And I think of, I remember Darius, you, you made an analogy about the Milwaukee series being a tug of war. Yeah. And then Miami was similarly physically demanding. Now imagine having to run a hundred meter dash over and over again, or a marathon after you do that. That's what guarding golden state is. And so if Golden State doesn't come out with the requisite degree of uh, of urgency and they play that defense the same way that they did in these last two games, they're going to lose game six. But if they do, if they do come out and say, hey, we're one win away from a championship, I think that Boston is starting to feel some of the mileage, even as young as they are uh, for a lot of their players and, and guarding a team like Golden State. I don't know. I see some signs of fatigue. So... All that is to say I would normally pick, and I'd still probably think that Boston is going to win game six, but Golden State has a legitimate shot in game six. So, pop quiz. Who do you think leads the NBA playoffs in total minutes played? Tatum. Tatum. Okay, that is correct. Jason Tatum. And who do you think is second? Brown. Brown? Yeah. Brown, correct. Who do you think is third? And I think this is important. Horford? Horford. Smart. Okay. I was going to say smart. Horford is third. Right? So Tatum, Brown, Horford. Next up is Clay, then Steph, then Wiggins, then Smart. 
So obviously, they're the teams in the finals. Of course, they played more minutes. What's interesting to me isn't that those are the guys who make up the top five or six. Jason Tatum has played 943 minutes this postseason. Oof. The highest warrior is Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson has played 751 minutes. It's a big difference. So there's a 200-minute difference between where Tatum is at and where the highest warrior is. And so, and Horford being third on that list as one of the older players in the league and the asks that they put on him defensively, it's a tricky thing. And and so fatigue, Tatum is still able to like do athletic things because he's... 24 years old and he's an elite athlete and he has all those tools. Now I thought his legs started to betray him on some of his jumpers and the Warriors defense was making it extra hard on him. But some of the mental mistakes that I see him making or like the off target passes. Yeah. These to me are symptoms of fatigue as much or even more so than like a, a few consecutive front rim jumpers or yeah. jumpers that air ball, you know, because they're six inches to short and to the right. You know what I mean? And, and so the two days off are going to help. But Mike, I am, I am of the mind that the Warriors, based off of the style that they play, they are marathon runners. Like you think Steph is tired, but this dude, this dude could go run a freaking 10 K right after the game and still be like, oh yeah, I got it in me because that's all he does. He, he runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And I wonder if the style that the Celtics play and the asks that they put on their players is starting now to take its toll in ways that when you it's like that old scene in rocky where um mickey is telling um rocky like oh to beat creed like you have to be fast and so he like sticks him in like a little alleyway with a chicken and he's like chase the chicken (laughs) right and and when you catch the chicken that's when you're ready to fight creed you know what i mean and that is what it's like trying to chase around the warrior some will, will sometimes and they are the bigger like physic more physical team but over time chasing this team around through all of the actions and getting over screens and, and closing out and then rotating and rotating and rotating that that wears on you both physically and mentally mike and and i'm wondering i know that the game six crowd will lift them i know all of that but when the dust settles and it's the middle of the second quarter is all of that going to be there if you get another, like if you get a few big shots from Steph or a few big shots from 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 Clay, and and it's close? Like I'm just wondering where everyone is going to be from the Celtic side because this is the most important game any of them will have played in their lives, and they are going to be as fatigued as they've ever been, especially from a mental standpoint. And and, and so it's a question to me that I don't have the answer to, but from if I were a Celtics fan, I would be concerned. Thank goodness I'm not a Celtics fan. Well, <laughs> what you just said is, is the main reason that I picked the Warriors to win the series in seven, because I just thought Boston was going to wear down. 
uh, enough. And I, I know that in our group that I pointed the most to Williams and Horford there because I think they're the two most susceptible. And I think that Boston doesn't have anything off the bench that they can bring in to replicate that because Grant Williams just hasn't been good in this series. He's a, a minus 19 net rating mm-hmm. so far, which is the worst in the series. So he he had something going that worked in a couple of their earlier series, but hasn't been as good. Robert Williams has been great. Yep, He's a plus eight net rating, which leads them by far um, other than Pritchard, who his is skewed a little bit because he played during the that ridiculous run. Well, and he barely uh, plays. And, yeah. And he played he's played 11 minutes per game. Yeah. Right. But and their problem is Williams can't play more than he's playing. He's playing mm-hmm. 25 minutes a game because of his knee. And so there you go. Like right there within those gaps, Golden State has enough to take advantage because you can't sleep against them. You can't rest. No. The second you bring you bring the rim protection out, all of a sudden Steph immediately is like, all right, great. Now I can drive and use all my finishes that just don't work when Williams is in there. And this is, by the way, the same reason why we talked a lot about how we would have loved that Lakers-Warriors matchup because you can have – that's something that AD, of course, can take away when he's in there. But LeBron, it like playoff LeBron, he did that. He took that away from Steph. And like, think about game seven. Every time Steph or Clay wanted to turn the corner out of that scheme, all of a sudden LeBron would fly in from the three-point line and take away the rim. And and that's not what maybe later in their careers, Tatum and Brown can learn a little bit of that as they get a little bigger, a little smarter, a little more anticipatory defensively. But so, so yeah, so that's, that's, I think, the bigger picture as to what was going to happen. That, that doesn't mean that I, I'm a little bit with Pete where Golden State can win game six if this continues. I think Boston could get that extra lift, though, from the home crowd, and Golden State could, could a little bit think that, all right, well, we've, we still have game seven. We know they can't stick with, with us for another game. But they're also they're also smart enough to know that they don't want it to get to a game seven. They got to get two shots at it, Mike. They'd be foolish to come out in game six and just have it be like, oh, this is a Boston game. Like, you don't want to mess with that. And that's the difference, Pete. That's the difference between games. Just like I said, the difference between game five and that home crowd that Golden State knew it. It's also the difference between the way that they thought we got to get either game three or game four. Right. Like in Boston, one of them, you're going to get our complete effort. Game three, they were flat. I don't think they're going to be flat. You know, the boss is going to have to earn it. See, I'm leaning Warriors in game six. I am of the mind that the the game six clay sort of idea, that's a Clay Thompson thing, but it's also a Warriors thing. They have throughout this entire run, the reason why game six has been fun for them is because it's almost always on the road. They've always been the better team. They've almost always had home court advantage. Almost all of the time. Yeah. And I think that they relish the idea of going into the other team's arena and being like, we're the better team. So I was listening to a podcast this morning. It was the Hoop Collective. It was Brian Windhorst and it was Tim Bontemps. And they've done a good job covering the series and everything else. But there is this narrative that's still out there that like Boston's the better team. I'm just saying this is the narrative of if they don't shoot themselves it's in the not, foot, it's then, not self-inflicted. Ugh. Yeah, it discredits Golden State's defense here yeah, for sure. My point is, is that counter to that idea for me is that the other team, the Warriors in this case, they want to go out there and be like, oh, yeah, well, we're about to show you who the better team actually is. Earlier, Pete, you mentioned like the hubris of a champion. Yeah. Like the confidence, the arrogance, right? And Lakers fans remember that very well. 
the other side of that coin, which the Lakers had too, is like the pride of a champion. And there's that mm. old Rudy T quote, mm-hmm. right, about like never underestimate the heart of a champion. And he was talking about his his Rockets teams. But plenty of those Lakers teams also were just like, oh, hell no. Yeah. We know what this is. And we know when it's time to turn it up. And the Warriors crowd helped them in game five. I actually think that like the ferociousness and the fervor of the road crowd is going to inspire them similarly in game six. And that's sort of where I am with them, Mike. Real quick, two two of my favorites, Kobe game six at Denver, Mm. 2009, where he systematically destroyed them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was 35 points on an efficient efficient shooting 10 assists just absolutely destroyed them and then game six the next year at phoenix yeah. the alvin gentry pat on the buck yep. game where kobe was just like no man like I'm, I'm doing this to you in your gym enjoy yes sir and that's no accident in a game six and that idea of turning it up i think that especially when you're up three two you can get a team to a breaking point boston is a team that they can get sped up and a little bit discombobulated and i think we saw that especially in the fourth quarter last night and they're they're right there they're tired they're they're sped up and golden state is capable but they got to bring that force but they gotta you know they gotta turn it up in order to to do that so um all right we'll be back tomorrow talk some some more lakers we got the, the draft coming up. We got free agency coming up soon. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's Let's the move. Go. Two, Let's go. one, Missing. it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.